wintry day in Biloxi, Mississippi, a 25-year-old woman was ready to end her life. She climbed up on a bridge, and she leaped into the icy waters below, thinking that there was no hope, there was no answer, there was no future. She did not know there was a man standing on the side of the bank there fishing. He saw her and immediately he jumped in and attempted to swim out to her. In his uh, excitement to save someone, this would-be hero forgot that he did not know how to swim. He began to drown. He began to cry out for help, help. The woman who, ended, who intended to end her life looked over and saw him and heard his cry for help and swam to him, pulled him to the shore, and saved his life. The newspaper journalist wrote these words. That night, it wasn't the man who saved her life. It was purpose that saved her life. You see, that woman didn't think she had a purpose in life. She didn't know what life was all about and what she was living for or even had a reason to. But I think most of mankind lives that kind of a life, maybe not full-time, but at times you say, why am I here? What's life all about? And what's going to be next for me? In the book of Luke chapter 24 will be our text today. And I want to set up that story a little bit for you with these words. Early in the chapter, they, the women went to the tomb expecting to find a body. Instead, they found an empty tomb. They were greeted by two heavenly creatures. We call them angels. They were messengers. The Bible says they were in shining garments, signaling that they were not of this earth. They had been dispatched by God himself to communicate one of the great and most powerful messages that we could ever hear, the message of the resurrection. In a thunderous voice, those heavenly visitors asked this question, why do you see the living among the dead? In other words, why are you here? Didn't you believe the words that he spoke? And then he called to their attention this word, remember, remember when he was with you? Remember what he said? And I'm sure their minds were playing that tape over and over again. What did he say? What did he say to me? What did he give us as an indication? He said, the Son of God must come, be betrayed by evil men, and suffer death. You see, the angel said he told you what was going to happen. He told you in advance. He told you it must happen, that he must rise from the dead. It's almost as if they're asking this question. When are you going to believe God? It's a question for all of us today, is it not? When do we come to the place where we say, I really am going to trust God instead of trusting myself? When are we going to give Him everything? When seems to be the word that is asked from heaven. But we ask the earthly question, why? God, why does this happen to me? Why is this going on? It's almost as if God was saying to us, when you get the wind right, you'll understand the why in your life. But you have to go back to God. Well, they ran back to the empty tomb. The sun had just risen in the eastern sky. You could feel the warmth on the land as it bathed the land with light and warmth. 
Out of breath, faces fraught with emotion, words rushed from her mouth. They blurted out the words, he is risen. He's not there. He's not in the tomb. We saw and we spoke to heavenly creatures who told us that Jesus had risen from the dead. The apostles listened with disbelief. They probably thought, is this a tale? Another fable? Is it just too early? When the Holy Spirit speaks, he opens the eyes to the lies of the enemy. What he does is he peels away the layers of lies that have been built up in our life over the years. Some of those lies go like this. You're not worth anything. There is no future for you. You're a failure. And those are all lies that build up layers and layers in our heart and in our mind that keep us from fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. You see, there is a spirit of manipulation that the enemy uses in all of our lives to bypass the truth. Sometimes we avoid the truth because it's hard to hear. We bypass the truth because it calls us to change our life. You see, you can't follow Christ and do what you want to do. We've become accustomed in this day to an easy message. A message that doesn't call forth real disciples. It calls forth people who want to adopt some Christian ethic in their life and then live their life the way they want to live it. But I want you to see from Luke chapter 24 that the cross is just the beginning of life. You see, we have to come to understand who Christ really is. I want to give you a quote from Gandhi. Listen to what he says. It's very carefully worded by Gandhi in his biography. He said, I would accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and divine teacher. His death on the cross was a great example to the world. But that there is anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. Gandhi basically said there is no supernatural, mysterious, divine dimension to Jesus Christ. Therefore, he has to dismiss the resurrection altogether. Let's look at our Bibles. Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up the story here in verse 13. There are a couple of disciples that were making their way away from Jerusalem. They were headed to a town called Emmaus. And it says now... Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. I love the sound of children. <laughs> I hope it's children. It might be other adults who just acting up. You know what's interesting is they're making this way down the road. Jesus comes up next to them and they don't recognize him. Have you ever had Jesus interrupt your life with conversation? Things are going pretty well and you hear that still small voice and he says something like, What are you thinking? What are you doing? Where are you going? He has a knack at doing that, it seems. He'll show up on your road, engage you in your conversation. He will call into question the way you think, the way you reason. In fact, he will even mess up your plans. Anybody had their plans messed up by Jesus? Raise your hand. What about the rest of you? Just wait. You're next week. Okay. 
Notice what it says in verse uh, 17. And he said unto them, What kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and are sad? He's getting in their life. Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said unto him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem which have not known the things that have happened these days? And he said unto them, What things? And so they said, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping. There it is, the heartbeat of mankind. It is hope. I hope for something better in my life. I hope that things work out. Have you ever had someone say this to you? Hey, I know everything's going to be okay. It's the dumbest statement in the world. I was asking, has that always worked out for you when you said that? I mean, did everything always work out when you thought, no. Thanks, you're no longer the authority in my life for everything's going to work out. But hope is the glue that keeps us tied to eternity. Because we believe somehow God is up to something in our world. We were hoping He was the one who would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain of our women company uh, who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying they also had seen a vision of angels and that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they did not see him. And he said unto them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village, and when they were going, he indicated that he would not go further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. So somehow the presence of Jesus, even though they did not know him as Jesus, they, it was a magnetic pull in their life. And they were thinking, no, stay here. We want to hear more. We want to hear more of the word of God. We want to interact with you more. It's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open. I'm not sure what it was they saw or experienced in that moment. Maybe they saw the scar prints in his hands. The place where the cross, those nails had pierced. And they realized, but maybe it was some kind of a supernatural revelation they could not put their hand on. They knew it was him and he vanished from their sight. And they said unto one did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour, the scripture says, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven of those who were with him gathered, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed, he has appeared to Simon. And they told him about the things that had happened in the road, and he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. When we think about Jesus, you see, you can walk on a road with him and not know him. You can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can think you know him. You could be traveling on a road going to Emmaus when really he's leading you down a different road altogether. It's the faith road. It's the road where you're going to encounter God in a divine way. 
That faith road is a road that takes you down sometimes the battle way. A road of, of, of difficulty and trouble. Emmaus is an interesting city and town in history because it was recorded in 164 B.C. that the Syrian army had come down to invade and one Judas of Maccabees. He rose up and was going to contend with them, but a spy, a Jewish spy, came and told them that the Syrians were coming. They hid from the Syrians and they assumed they were going up into the mountains. When they went into the mountains, then Judas Maccabees came down, back down in and he burned the entire uh, camp of the Syrians down. When they came back, they were in a panic. They ran for their life and they never had to lift an arm against the Syrian army at that time. You know, that's a great picture of God and what God does. Sometimes we get alarmed because the enemy comes in like a flood and we think, what am I going to do? And we get nervous and we begin to react and overreact to what's happening. But God has a plan. You see, God sends in his spy, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit begins sneaking around, I like to call God Jehovah Sneaky. Because <laughs> sometimes you think, well, how did that happen? And God's working in a mysterious way. You don't know what God is up to, but he's got a plan and he's up to something. The survivor of the Holocaust, Viktor Frankl, wrote these words. I think they're telling for us in this day. A man who cannot see the end ceases to live for the future and therefore exists altogether without hope. I want you to see the end. I want you to see that God has a game plan for every single one of you. And it far exceeds all that you could ever ask or think. You see, God, when he works, he works by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, some believe that actually our, our need for God would diminish as scientific sophistication came into play. We begin to understand more and more about us and we would need less and less God to control our world. It seems just the opposite the case, however. The rise of atheistic com uh, countries like the Soviet Union and Communist China, like the Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia, all point to one thing that a, a nation without God is doomed to failure. Birth. They birthed the most oppressive and controlling societies in history. You see, I want to remind us all that we don't need less of God. We need more of God in our world. We need more of God in our schools. We need more of God in our families. We need more of God in our communities. And it comes from people like you and me when we simply open our mouth and speak the name of God. You know, when you speak the name of God, God shows up. His presence shows up. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. Praise His name and watch Him show up. I want to read something to you and then I'm going to show you a video. A few weeks ago we had... Uh, I was messaging back and forth with some people and, and one of them is a, a girl named Sky. Are you here today, Sky? Right back there. Just stand up, Sky. Would you do that? I'm sorry to embarrass you. All right. Give Sky a hand because you're going to have to hear I said, Sky, did you make it to church last week? She said, no. She said, um, I've just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I said, can you come next week? Can we pray for you? She's a mother of three. Two, three, and four years old. Is that right, Scott? I just want to read what she wrote to me. Late Friday afternoon, March 2nd, I experienced one of the worst headaches I can remember. Eventually, I asked my husband through tears of pain to please take me to the hospital. After an initial exam, a CT scan was performed on my head. 
The ER physician informed me that I needed to see a neurosurgeon immediately because the scan was abnormal. To my surprise, a 10 millimeter tumor was found in the top portion of my brain, the circumference of the grapefruit. The neurosurgeon requested an MRI for mapping purposes of the tumor. The next Sunday at church, I met with Pastor Phil and Tammy and many other amazing people who prayed over me and continued to pray for me in the weeks that followed. I felt something supernatural that day. I knew that God had a plan for me. My dad, my sister, my niece, they were with me that day and with tears streaming down their faces, they said something amazing has just happened and they felt it just as I had. Through the next few days, I'd never felt so much love. I received a ton of emails, Facebook messages, and calls from people telling me that they were praying for me and to remember that God, our God, is a mighty physician. He is big enough to do anything for me and to continue to pray as they were. Honestly, I did spend a few sleepless nights wondering if this tumor would take me away from my family. I asked God to please make me a miracle. Lord, I have three babies and one with special needs and they need me. At the same time, I thought how incredibly selfish I was for asking God to heal me, considering all the more worthy people that needed healing. The next week, I met with a neurosurgeon to discuss the results from the MRI that I had done. My mom and I were prepared for the worst, yet hoping for the best. The doctor walked into the room in a very nonchalant manner and said, well, the tumor is now barely visible. Your neck is clean. There's no disc problem or anything else. He had no explanation why the tumor had gone from 10 millimeters to barely being visible in three weeks. I do. God. God can do anything through faith. My mom and I left the office, walked outside, looked at each other and said simultaneously, wow, God is good. So to all of you who prayed for me and had faith to know God is big enough, thank you. Hi, I'm Tammy, and this is my friend Skye, and I've asked Skye to come and share with you a little bit about her story. Skye, what happened to you just a few months ago? Well, I went to the ER from a really bad headache, and they told me that I had a brain tumor the size of a grapefruit in circumference. And how shocked were you at that? Beyond shocked. I can remember just laying in bed at night. I have three little kids mm -hmm. and thinking, is this going to take me away from them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was really scared. And, and at that time, did you um, just reach out to God and say, God, I just need help? I did that and I also reached out to you guys, Pastor Phil yeah. and you. And yeah, it was so neat, Sky, because I remember Phil asking me, do you remember Sky?" And I remember he emailed you back and he said, Sky, we'd like to ask you to come to church and we'd like to actually pray over you and anoint you. And what I love is this passage in James, and I've shared this with you, Sky. It's in James 5 and it uh, says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And so about two weeks ago, we did that, and you came to Influence Church, and our elders and lay men and women got around you and laid hands on you, and, and Phil anointed you with oil, and we just prayed in Jesus' name the power of our God that's a miracle-working, healing God, and in faith we prayed that that tumor would be gone. And I'm sure for you, it was an exercise of faith for the next two weeks, wasn't it? Huge. I mean, because it was going to be two weeks before then you went back for the MRI to get the results. Right? And you and I were face backing back and forth and just saying, have you heard anything yet? And tell us what happened when you went back for the MRI. Well, I went back and the doctor walked in and he said, I really don't know how to say this, but um, it's barely visible. Okay, 
Did you just freak out? Yes. Did you just <laughs> did you just say in your spirit, I know this is the God Absolutely. that heals? I knew. I knew it. And you said nothing. you really felt something. Tell us about that when Phil anointed you and we were praying over you. I just felt like that day something so amazing happened. Mm -hmm. I can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. But just the amount of people that came and prayed for me. Yeah. Yep. And to know it works. And you know, I just want to share with you that uh, we really believe in the power of prayer to influence church and uh, the power of anointing and believing God for miracles. And if you're struggling today with something physical, emotional, spiritual, um, we just want you to know that we believe in this God and we believe in prayer. And if you want to reach out to us, we would love to pray with you and hopefully we can just share more stories on all that God's doing in Sky's life and in your life. So we just want to encourage you to have a great day in the Lord and God bless you. Christianity I read about in the Bible is a Christianity that works miracles. It's not about performance. It's not about fitting in with culture. No, it's about accessing God in all of His power and all of His greatness. It's a supernatural kind of faith. It's a faith that believes in miracles, the kind that believes that the Bible is true from cover to cover, that believes that unless a person is born again, as Jesus said, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. You notice that in that scripture there, there was a divine appetite that was stirring in the heart of these disciples as Jesus was there with them. It says they constrained him. One can only remember the words of Thomas when he said, you know, I won't believe unless I put my hand in the, in the nail prints on his hand or in his side. And Jesus appeared there in their midst. And he said, be not unbelieving, but be believing, Thomas. A divine revelation when it says that their eyes were open. They could see physically, but they needed to see spiritually what was going on in their world. Sometimes we live so much on, on level one of this relationship with God, we never get to see what God is really up to in our world. The, the ability to recognize the presence of God in our midst. And then it says they knew him there in verse 31. They had a conversion. They, they went from darkness into light. That's why the Bible describes it as a new birth. We move from darkness into light. We move from death into life. And just as we enter the world physically by the birth, the physical birth, we have to enter the spiritual world by a spiritual birth. Mark Batterson put it like this. We won't regret the mistakes we made as much as the God-ordained opportunities we missed. You know, when God speaks, you want to respond immediately. When you hear the voice of the Spirit, you want to respond immediately. You don't want to put off what God is saying because, you see, God also works in this idea of changed lives. When God begins to change your life, it's pretty amazing. French philosopher and scientist Pascal said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing. But only by God, the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Another man, A.W. Tozer, asking the question, what's a real Christian? What is a real Christian? You know, we, we talk a lot and people say, well, I'm a Christian or this is a Christian nation. What really is a Christian? You know, sometimes we, we shock people. I shock people when they, they'll talk to me and I'll, they'll say, I hate religion. And I'll look at them and I go, I do too. They go, how do you hate religion? I just hate religion. Religion is all about man trying to please God in order to accept entrance into heaven. That's religion. 
But you see, Christianity is all about a relationship where I come to know Jesus as my friend. I'm introduced to him. And I know many of us have layers and layers of religious stuff built up around us that keep us from knowing and really loving God with all of our hearts. God wants us to strip all of that away. But listen to what Tozer said. A real Christian feels the supreme love for the one whom he has never seen. Talks every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, he dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that knowledge that passes all understanding. Evidence of a changed life? What's well, a heart that burns for God? doesn't mean you're perfect. Anybody perfect here? I don't see any. Some of us think we're more perfect than others. Right? And some of us are convinced others are less perfect than us, for sure. But we're not perfect. It doesn't mean that. It means we're forgiven. It means our heart burns for God. It also means we have a heart that longs for the Word of God. You ever just had one of those moments where you thought I should read the Bible and you don't? And then you do. You start reading and go, well, this is pretty good. You start reading and go, well, this is not bad at all. And then all of a sudden God starts speaking to you. are going to put five minutes in here and you're in at 15. You know why? Because the Word of God is living and active and, and it's spiritual. And, and God is speaking by His voice through those words. Because it's the breath of God on written page. And God wants to communicate with each one of us. It's also a mouth that is eager to speak his name. Did you notice after they came to know him there on that Emmaus road? Which, by the way, they never made it to Emmaus. They turned around and headed back and went to Jerusalem and told the disciples, he is risen. He's risen from the dead. See, there's a battle raging in hearts of mankind. The devil will try to talk you out of believing God for a miracle. You know that the, the fight of faith doesn't end with the miracle. See, Jesus died. There's a miracle. Doesn't mean the fight of faith stopped. Doesn't mean the fight of faith stops because a tumor is reduced in size. It doesn't mean the fight of faith stopped because you have an answer to your prayer. No, you see, we are we are living in a world of this earthly place we live in. We're aliens. We really belong in eternity. But we're subject to time for a short time. Oh, but he'll try to reason with you. He'll, he'll say, hey, why don't you just walk your way out of Jerusalem? Once you shake your head at God and say, I don't think God can really come through. Instead, listen to the words of Christ. The greatest miracle you experience today is the miracle of the new birth. Jesus, when he talked to a man by the name of Nicodemus, he said to him, Nicodemus, if you want eternity, you have to be born again. And he said, you know what? I can't crawl back in my mother's womb, can I? He was thinking physically instead of spiritually. So no, you see, there's laws that govern the physical world, laws that govern the spiritual world. You violate a physical world, you die physically. You violate a spiritual law, you die spiritually. You have to be born again. You have to be willing to believe. Be willing to trust God. You have to be willing to say yes to God. Yes, I do believe in you. I remember when I first started reading the Bible and I knew I was in trouble. Because everything it said could not do, I'd already done. 
You know what I'm talking about? God's saying, don't do this. And I'm going, yes, I checked the list here. I said, I've got to pray. I've got to call on God. I got on my knees. I thought God could hear me better on my knees. Got down on my knees. I didn't know how to pray. You ever had those moments where you say, what do I say to God? You kind of, your mind goes back to some of those childhood kind of prayers you used to pray. Remember, now I lay me down to sleep. That's a bad one. I don't want to pray that one. Give the Lord my soul to keep. If I don't, wait, what? We're teaching children that. And I would get it all mixed up and some with that other one about sticking a needle in your eye or something. Remember that? So I'm down to God, and this is how I pray. I said, God, I don't even know if you can hear me. If you can hear me, I give you my life. I didn't hear any angel wings, heavenly whistles. Went up, looked in the mirror, still looked the same. But something on the inside was changing. People say, well, I don't know how to pray. I remember I, I was talking to a Marine who was a, a bottler at Budweiser, and he was telling me about uh, he didn't know how to pray. I said, well, just give it a shot, Tom. Let's see what you got. Here's how Tom prayed. It's my favorite prayer of all time. I've almost got it memorized. He said, dear God, this is Tom. I wanted him to know who he was talking to, see? This is Tom. I'm down here at 392 Maplewood Avenue. Now he's giving God the GPS. Perfect, right? And I thought, that's prayer. It's just talking to God from a sincere heart, and God loves that kind of stuff. Imagine if this building caught on fire right now. How would you pray? Like this? Oh, Lord, thou who knowest. But this building doth burn. Deliver thy servant for his faithfulness in reading scripture. That's the stupidest prayer in the world. You need to pray like this. Help! Help, God, get me out of here. I'm in a mess. See, that's what God wants to hear from. Help God get me out of this mess. What does a changed life look like? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Just means you've been introduced to Jesus and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. First guy I ever sat down and led to faith in Christ was a guy who was 92 years old. His name was Martin Young. The guy took me over to his house and said, I've been talking to this guy about Jesus for 50 years and you need to tell him about Jesus. I'm thinking, what am I going to tell this guy? 50 years, I got nothing new. I go over there and he said, I'm going to pray first. And when I get done praying, then you can go ahead and talk to him. And, and this guy's South Louisiana. You can only get this setting, right? We're on the front porch, sipping sweet tea out there. Ansel drops down. The other guy drops down all four and start praying. I'm looking over thinking, what just, what is going on in here? I looked over, his veins were sticking out. He looked like Elijah the prophet. I'm thinking to myself, I'm in trouble. How am I going to say anything after this guy? And he looked at me and said, now preacher, tell him, tell him about Jesus. I'm shell-shocked. I wanted to say there's no hope. If you can't, if this dude is praying and talking to you like he's been praying and talking to you, what do I got? I got nothing. I said, Martin, let's pray. Grab his hands. I said, Martin, if you believe what I'm praying, you just pray and repeat after me. Dear Lord, dear Lord, said Martin, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Martin said, I believe he rose from the dead. And remember, we got our eyes closed. I don't know what's going on. And you know, it's kind of, you know, when you're praying, it's kind of, your defenses are down. You're not ready for something to happen. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like peeking at the dinner table. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. 
And so I said, and come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And he goes, Woo! I jumped back. Almost need to get saved all over again. Just keep praying, preacher. I'm feeling something. I was so scared at that point, I couldn't even pray. I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to my life. I don't pray. And I said, what'd you think? What happened, Martin? He said, I just met Jesus. A 92-year-old man met Jesus. It wasn't because of me. Because of Jesus. I wonder if you prayed that prayer. If you prayed that prayer. So you can get on the road with Jesus. You can know what he looks like, know what he talks like. Read his word and not know Jesus. He can interrupt your conversations. You not know Jesus. Maybe today is the day you come to know Jesus. I want us to pray. Just bow our heads, and as we do, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, just like I led Martin through. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life. I put my faith and my trust in you. Save me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Not because I'm perfect, because I'm not. Because my faith in you trusts you to save me. You said in your word, as we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Save me, Lord Jesus. With your head still bowed, if that was your prayer today, if that was your request of Jesus, would you in your own words right now just thank him? Just thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. 